0: I was just reading the other night the book of Jonah and just several things jumped out at me. And I want to give you just some, it's kind of an overview of the book of Jonah. Nothing, Not you know, we're going to just kind of look at several things from the book of Jonah. But my thought is this, tonight that I want to really center in on. Who is really the one running? Who is really the one running? I want I want to just pin that thought. And I want, I'll come back to it. But as I build this message out, I'm hoping to bring it to a place where we're going to see who the who the one is, who is the one really running, and, and be able to pinpoint those things. But if you go to Jonah chapter 1 in your Bible, you know, when you open up this book, man, you see quickly we're on an adventure, right? Right out of the gate, you see, man, hey, you know, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son, the son of Amitai, say it, man, God's word, boom. Man, we don't even, we don't get introduced to who Jonah is or nothing. Bang, the word of God's coming to Jonah. I want you to rise. Go to Nineveh. Man, we got a 500-mile journey, right? Here's an adventure. That great city, man, huge city, 600,000-plus people. And cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So, man, they're wicked. They need the Word of God. Man, God said, Jonah, you've got the Word. The Word has come to you. You take that truth, and you be the missionary. You go share it with the city of Nineveh. But then we see, man, quickly, verse 3. But Jonah, he rose up, and he... To flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. The opposite direction, right? It's almost like, hey, let's take a trip to Hawaii. We're going to fly to, we're going to get on a plane and fly to Berlin. Makes no sense, right? Jonah's running from God. The verse 4, here's the adventure, right? we got this adventure going. Hey, go preach the word. Jonah runs the opposite direction or tries to. Verse 4, but God, but the Lord sent out a great wind. Man, we see a lot happening in four verses, don't we? It's amazing, really, when you think about this small book. Bang! I mean, here's Jonah, prophet, go preach five hundred miles away, two thousand miles the opposite direction, in the middle of the ocean. God sends the great wind. Boom! It's, it's kind of it's, it's, honestly, it's it's such a unique book. And this book is one of the only books in the entire Bible that opens up. I mean, within within uh, you know verse three. Direct rebellion to God. You know, a lot of books in the Bible, they open up with greetings and, hey, I'm this, or O Theophilus. I think about what Luke and what he wrote in Luke and the book of Acts, or Paul, a lot of his writings are going to open up with some type of greeting with, you know, hey, you know, greet this person, or, you know, I'm the, I'm the Apostle Paul, etc. Man, Jonah opens up, hey, here's Jonah, and now he's disobeyed. I mean, just just slam it right in there, right out the gate. Jonah's a short book full of irony. I mean, all over the pages of Jonah, we see irony. Irony in the sense that everyone else in the book, the seamen, the pagans of Nineveh, even the blooming cows in Nineveh, they get right with God. But the prophet of God struggled with his attitude and his obedience throughout the entire story. The one guy who should have been obedient to God, he's the one who was disobedient, and all the people in the story who should have been disobedient are the ones who are showing immediate obedience. Man, that's irony. Man, God, this, this book is, I mean, Chuck Swindoll says about the book of Jonah. If you look at it from God's perspective, it's the story of his measureless mercy, right, to the semen, to the pagans. And probably in my opinion, the one who received the most mercy in the entire book was not the pagans or the semen, it was the prophet. He was the one that God had to keep preparing, and God had to keep sending a wind and a whale and, and a gourd and a wind. You know, God was preparing all this stuff. If you look at it from Jonah's perspective, Chuck Swindoll says it's the story of his stubborn pride. And we see God's measureless mercy all over the pages of Jonah 1, 2, 3, and 4. But we also see, man, a stubborn prophet who should have obeyed quickly but never did. Never did. Now, this short book ends with God getting the last word. I mean, look at how the book ends. I mean, one of the most unique books. I mean, opens up with the word coming to Jonah, then it opens up with God speaking for the last time. Look at what it says in verse. Go to chapter four, verses ten and eleven. Then it said the Lord, "You've had pity on the ground, for which thou hast not labored, neither made it to grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh?" Man, God's speaking. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than six core thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? And also much cattle? I mean, God ends with the last word, and throughout this book, we're going to see well-sized lessons, right, for us to apply to our lives. I mean, this book is full of things for us. But it makes me ask that question, who's the one really running here? Who, when I read the book of Jonah, who is the one that's really running? And you're, in reality, you're going to find that one of the reasons Jonah is so popular, one of the reasons we color the picture of Jonah and the fish, and man, we, and we talk about, we, we sing songs about Jonah and get church. Right? Jonah, Jonah did not obey God immediately. We do that a lot. And the kids love that song. You know why? Because we identify with him. And I do. I, I mean, am I am I the one really running? Who's the one really running? Maybe maybe the reason Jonah is so popular, not because of the revival, which that's, I mean that's great. Not because of what happened in Nineveh, what a wonderful revival. Not because of what happened on the ship with the seaman who said, "Now when we get back to dock, we're going to change our ways. We're repenting from us from what, the way we've lived." Maybe it's because I see myself in it. I want to give you three distinct impressions really quickly tonight. Three distinct impressions I see in this book that helps us to identify who's the one running. First of all, the first impression I see that stands out from, Jonah's, from the book of Jonah is this. The penitence of the pagans. Man, just a, just a complete redirection of pagan people. God brought Jonah. I mean, Jonah was one of the most successful missionaries in the history of all time. And he hated his life because of it. I mean, pagans got right everywhere this man went. In fact, look at, first of all, look at the questions from the sailors. Verses, go back to chapter one. Look at the questions from the sailors. You know, Francis Bacon, the one who kind of developed the scientific method, he said, A prudent question is one half of wisdom. Man, questions show us a lot, don't they? Look at what the sailors asked when they asked Jonah, when, man, they began to really make some sense about all that's happening. They, they, they asked Jonah some straightforward questions. In verse 6, What do you mean, you sleeper? What meanest thou, O sleeper? Verse 8, what is, what is that occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? Of what people art thou? Verse 10, Why hast thou done this? What's a strong question, isn't it? Verse 10, man, they finally have gotten to the point where they, got, they realize, man, Jonah is the problem. And they cannot fix this problem. They said, Jonah, why have you brought the judgment of God upon us? That's a a sad day when pagans have to ask the man of God why he's run from God. They said, why have you done this? Verse 11, what shall we do unto thee? That the sea may be calm unto us. You see their questions? These pagans, man... When they they came in contact with this prophet, they realized what was happening. They saw, man, we've got to do something. We've got to change something. And they said, man, Jonah, why have you done this? Can I ask you a question? Do you have enough spirituality to respond to the move of God? When the judgment of God was coming upon the boat, what was Jonah doing? He was asleep. His heart was so cold and so far from God that semen, that pagan, pagan semen had to reprove him. Man, I don't want that to be said of me. Man, I want to be in tune with what God's doing. I want to hear his voice. I want to value his truth. But Jonah didn't. So first of all, there's the question from the sailors. Number two, there's the sacrifice of the sailors. And notice what they did after they got rid of Jonah. Look at verse 14. Skip down a little bit. It says in verse 14 Wherefore they cried to the Lord, and they're prayer, they're prayer warriors now, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord. We beseech thee. We beg thee. Let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they pick up Jonah, throw him in the ocean. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Man, their eyes were on Jehovah now. Forget their pagan gods. Forget their wicked ways. Man, God, we fear You. We know You've made this thing. We know You're all powerful. I mean, man, what? Hey, by the way, the first missionary movement that God has was during Jonah's disobedience. Man, even in Jonah's disobedience, God was working church. God was on the move. God was doing things that Jonah wasn't even aware of. He was asleep, but God was changing hearts. And God gave the chance for Jonah to speak up, and we're going to look at it later on, and to speak up and to share about him when he didn't even really want to. It says the Bible says they feared the Lord exceedingly. Notice what they did in the last part. And they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. That's what they said. At the end. They made vows. They made promises. God, when we get back to port, I'm gonna get things right with my wife. I'm gonna be a better dad. I'm gonna quit living this way. Can you hear it? And they're getting right. Sailors on a boat who didn't know Jehovah are now getting right with God, while the prophet is sinking to the bottom, running from God. What irony! Doesn't make any sense. And then, number, the letter see here underneath this thing of the penitence of the pagans. Look at the decision of the Ninevites. The decisions of the Ninevites. Look at, look, go, go to chapter 3, verse 5. The Ninevites, they were deeply wicked. I mean, deeply wicked and completely pagan. But they made a decision. We don't even really know exactly what Jonah's message was. I mean, I mean but whatever it was, man, God came down. In power. Look at verse 5. The Bible says they believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth. Man, everybody, from the from the king to the least, to the poorest to the richest, they said, God, please have mercy on us. We know you're right. We know, we know we're wrong. And we're begging you, we've made a fast, nobody's going to eat or drink, but we want to make sure that you don't judge us and bring evil upon us. You know what's crazy? Jonah should have been doing hallelujah cartwheels. He should have been saying, hallelujah, Lord, we've got a city of 600,000 pagans that have turned to you, their hearts are right with you. God, thank you. Verse 9. Look at what it says, man. Look at look at the heart of look at the heart of Nineveh. Look at these people. They said, God, we've done all of these things. we fasted, we put sackcloth on, we've not ate or drank, we've prayed, we've begged you. And they said, who can tell if God will turn and repent? See, the prophet of God, Jonah, he's taken the gracious, the grace of God for granted. But man, the people of Nineveh are, they're saying we're not worthy of this. We're not worthy of this. Man, they, they're in a place of humility and submission to God. And they're saying, God, we don't know. We're just hoping and praying you're going to see what we're doing and that we're taking this serious and that we don't want you to judge us and that we love you and we care about you, God, and we're just we're, we're pouring our hearts out to you, Lord. Do you see their heart? Look at the irony of this passage. I mean, here's a bunch of pagans just full of humility and full of repentance and, and, and the prophet is upset. Number two, there's the presumptions of Jonah. So, first of all, we we see here the penitence of the pagan, we see next secondly, the second distinct impression I get is the presumptions of Jonah. You know, Jonah makes several egregious presumptions about himself and mostly about God here in this passage, here throughout this entire book. What was the first thing? First, Jonah presumed that he could run from God and not be pursued, not be chastised and not be restored. He he, he thought, hey, I'm called to go to Nineveh, 500 miles inland. I'll get a boat and go to Tarshish, 2,000 miles in the direction. I'll get away from what God wants me to do. I'll run from God. Look at what what it says in verse 3. He rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know what? That was a bad presumption. Don't ever presume that you can go somewhere on this planet to escape the presence of God. I mean, He's omnipresent. He's literally everywhere all at the same time. Theologically speaking, you can't flee God's presence and you certainly cannot flee His presence if you're His child on a relational level. Man, He loves you. He's crazy about you. There's nowhere your Heavenly Father will not pursue you. And when you come back to Him like the prodigal son did... with hog sloth all over you. He's going to run to you, hug you, put a robe on you, put a ring on you because he's crazy about you. Jonah thought, man, God, I don't like Ninevites. I don't want to preach to them. They don't deserve your grace. See all these things he thought about, Jonah presumed? They don't deserve your grace. I'm going in a direction. I'm getting away from you, Lord. That's not how this works, though. This instance is just one time where God pursued, chastised, and restored His servant. But know know this, dear friend. Throughout the Bible we we see this happen time and time again, right? Moses runs to the backside of the desert. What does God do? Showed up in a burning bush. Peter denies Christ three times. What does Jesus do? Cooks him some fish at a campfire and says, feed my sheep. I'm not done with you. Hey, John Mark departs the Apostle Paul on that missionary journey. And almost that word depart is a strong word like he was thinking about leaving the faith. But guess what happened? Man, he was profitable for the ministry. God wasn't done with John Mark. God was pursuing him. David, having a divine appointment, man, he had sinned against Uzziah. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Man, his life was a wreck. His life was a mess. And God sends Nathan the prophet to get his attention. Gideon, struggling with whether he should obey God, puts the fleece out, puts the fleece out again, needing multiple signs for confirmation, and God continues to answer. And yes, the very one standing before you preaching tonight, over and over again, God has pursued me, God has chastised me, and God has restored me to fellowship with Him. And God's crazy about you tonight. Man, you can presume that you can do something to get away from Him, but I promise you, He will pursue you because He loves you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Man, He said, "He said, Jonah, you may think you're running from me, but buddy, i got, I got a whole arsenal at my disposal. I'll get your attention. The second presumption here I see is that God, is that Jonah presumed upon God's graciousness and character. Go to, go to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Look at this presumption. He says in verse 2, I, uh, there towards the middle of the verse, I fled before unto Tarshish. You know, look what he says. For I knew, I presumed, that you're a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness. Can you believe what you're hearing? Jonah said, God... All these people got right. I'm upset about it. I ran from you. I knew what I was doing. And the reason I did it is because I knew you were gracious. I knew you were so kind. I knew you were so merciful. So I disobeyed you knowing that you wouldn't hurt me. Can I just say to us tonight, and I want you to hear this statement. I want you to really think about it. When the truth of God's character and nature deadens you, deadens you into disobedience, that's what happened to Jonah. I knew you were gracious, so I ran from you. I knew you were kind, so I disobeyed you. I knew you were slow to anger. That's why I rebelled against your will. If it deadens you into disobedience, you are in serious need of revival. Man, that when the character and the truth of God comes into your life, it's supposed to liven you to obey him, not dead you to disobey, not, not make you say, Oh, forget it. That's what Jonah did. That's the irony here. Man, this, this this prophet. And throughout the book, he should have been shouting hallelujahs and praising God and worshiping God for about, about everything that God has done, even though he was disobedient. Look at what he said in verse 9. He says in chapter 4, verse 9. And Jonah said, I do well to be angry even unto death. He said, God, I'm right in my anger. You're too kind. You're too gracious. He was angered because others got to experience the goodness and graciousness of God that he had known his whole life. Isn't that sad? Isn't that, isn't that just didn't that just you just want to just reach into the Bible and shake him? Say, Jonah, what are you doing? The last distinct impression I see here, we've got the penitence of the pagans, the presumptions of Jonah. But man, don't miss this part. All over the book. Number three, the preparations of God. Man, in our lives, I want you to hear me, church. I'm almost done. In our lives, God's always at work. He's always at work. He always has intentions and purposes for everything that's happening to me and around me. Even my disobedience. God is making the necessary preparations to restore my heart to Him. Let's look at what God prepared. Open up your Bible. Go back to chapter 1 there, Jonah chapter 1. I want you to walk through this with me. Look at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind. See that first preparation? Don't miss no bit. Now verse 9 is the second preparation the way I'm counting them. What was the second preparation in verse 9? He prepared the hearts of semen for Jonah to share about who he was. Who, who he was and who God was, really. Look at verse 9. I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. He introduces him to God, doesn't he? The God of the heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. He prepared the wind. He prepared the storm. He prepared the chance for Jonah to share the gospel, to share of Jehovah, I know the one who controls all this stuff. And then the the third preparation there in chapter 1, I see verse 17. Skip down a few verses. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. We don't even get out of chapter 1 before we have three different preparations that God made for Jonah. The storm, the chance to witness of him, and the great fish to save his life. Man, Jonah, Jonah should have just been overcome with it. But even in Jonah's terrible attitude and go over Jonah chapter 4 even when he was sitting and sulking and whining and crying like a baby when God showed up and had revival look at what it says in verse 6 and the Lord God prepared a gourd some type of bush, tree, figure to protect Jonah and he made it come up over Jonah he gave Jonah shade in the hot desert but Jonah was out there pouting waiting for God to judge Nineveh hey come kill all these people God This isn't right. But because Jonah didn't repent, God prepares a gourd. And also God the next day, verse 7, look at it, he prepares something else. The Bible says in God, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smoked the ground that it withered. Look at verse 8. God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die. Does this sound familiar to anybody? God prepared a storm. God prepared a fish. God prepared a gourd. God prepared an east wind. Listen to me. God is going to pursue, chastise, and restore you. He's working in every corner, every cranny, every nook in your life tonight. Every one of them. There's nothing. There's nothing going on in your life by accident. Not one thing. And we've got to believe that. We've got to see the sovereignty of God at work. We've got to believe, yes, He's gracious. And that should bring us to obedience. Not disobedience like Jonah. Man, we should be overcome with God's goodness and overcome with God's grace. So what does this mean for all of us? As I bring this to a close. Here's what it means. I want you to hear me. You are Jonah. I'm Jonah. That's that's who's running. This is a book about us. This is a book about the life of Chris Edmonds. Yes, it's about some prophet thousands of years ago, but it's about Chris. I mean, you could call this the book of Chris. You know, the book of whatever your name is. Because I'm telling you, when you read this story, when you read this narrative, this Old Testament narrative about, about Jonah, It's so much of me. Man, I'm running from God. God's pursuing me. God's giving me opportunities to minister. You're the rebellious one who's taken his truth for granted and his grace for license. But you're also the one who God continues to pursue even though, even though he knows the wickedness of your ways. You are the one who God prepares divine, divine opportunities In your disobedience and in your imperfections. When Jonah was disobeying, God gave him a chance to witness for sailors to get saved. Man, along your journey of imperfection, along your journey of disobedience, God's going to use it. It's not that we should enjoy and delight in our disobedience. That's not it at all. But man, just realize that God's working. You're Jonah. God's pursuing you tonight. God's doing things in your life. He's going to open up a door for you tomorrow to share Jesus with somebody. He's going to give you a chance to, man, to use your social media platform, to use your mouth, right? To to share Christ. The question is, since we're Jonah, where are you in the cycle? The the journey of Jonah, right? Where are you at? Are you currently running from God? man, you might be hearing me tonight and you may be on the run. You might be on that boat headed to Tarshish. Can I just help you out with something? God's got a storm coming your way. He's going to rock your world. He's going to send a great fish to save your life just when you need it. Well, hey, maybe, maybe tonight you're in the midst of returning to God. Maybe you're on your way back. Man, what a great thing! Are you being used by God to witness to others of His greatness? Are you in serious need of revival tonight? Are you needing to offer a prayer of repentance and restoration? Are you bemoaning God's goodness upon somebody else? Are you upset because God's blessed somebody else and He hasn't blessed you like you thought you should have been blessed? You're Jonah. Are you currently being rescued from your own foolishness? Listen to me. Are you currently being rescued from your own foolishness in miraculous, gracious ways? You're Jonah. I'm Jonah. And I ask you tonight, where are you in your journey? Lord, I thank you that you pursue us. You chastise us. You restore us. That is a cyclical journey that we go on throughout our entire lives. And God, I thank you for showing me as I read Jonah I'm looking at a mirror I'm seeing myself but I'm also thankful for the preparations you make I thank you for the ones that I've been able to share Jesus with along this imperfect journey I'm on Lord that you're pursuing me that you're opening doors for me you're working in my heart you're bringing me to a place of repentance and restoration continually I pray for the one that might be listening tonight who's running from you God get their attention God, I pray for the one that may be on their way back. I pray you help them to stay, stay focused on you, to look unto Jesus, just as Hebrews says we should. I pray that God you'd help us along this journey to share Christ with others. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to celebrate when other people get to hear your truth. Help us to be excited when others get blessed. Lord, help us to to rejoice with those that rejoice, and to weep with those that weep. Help us to follow biblical commands and to have our hearts in tune with You. Lord, we love You tonight. In Jesus' name.